Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is five minutes till 11 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 17th of June, 2022. It's a Friday. Means you get to go into your weekend feeling good, right? (laughs) Let your heart not be troubled, my friend. I've been doing this for seven years. Seven years I've been in this game. And you know what? (laughs) All the bullshit that's going on is just us flushing the toilet one more time. And we'll have to do it again, and 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 again, because there are no scruples anywhere, anywhere, except in Bitcoin. Sadly, because everything is attached in the quote-unquote crypto space, the chicanery has come to a head, and we are seeing the fruits of unethical behavior, immoral decisions, and lack of vision. But before we begin to get into all that shit, we have breaking news out of the Johnny Depp trial. Mm, Let's get into this one. Yes, I know the trial is over, but a conversation between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard that was had at the end of the trial has been leaked. Here's the transcript. This is bombshell, y'all. So Amber Heard says, Johnny, hey, can you turn around and look at me? And Johnny Depp just bows his head. Amber Heard, let's talk, Johnny. Come on, man, talk to me. Depp eh, turns to his lawyer, and his lawyer just shakes her head. Amber Heard, I have something to talk to you about. Depp, with his head still down, says, I have nothing to talk to you about. Amber says, please look at me, please. Depp just says, goodbye, Amber. Amber can't let it go. Tell me something, Johnny. Do, Do you still love me? Johnny just keeps quiet. Amber Heard, do you still love me, Johnny? Finally, Johnny Depp lifts his head, looks her straight in the eyes and says, Amber, this might be the last time we ever speak, so please listen to me very carefully. If you really want to see or talk to me again, you'll go to the mining conference in Round Rock, Texas on October 5th through the 7th. Since you owe me, you'll probably need a coupon code. Just use June 40 off for 40% off of your tickets, but you better hurry. It expires July 1st. (laughs) An absolute bobshell troll thread from the mining conference. Uh, That is at miningconf on Twitter, at miningconf on Twitter. And they so suckered me into reading this transcript and it was, it's just brilliant marketing. It was, I laughed my ass off at the end of it when I found out that I had been bamboozled into reading an advertisement for these guys. So I had to read it to you here. Again, the mining conference is in Round Rock, Texas. It is, uh, it starts on October the 5th and ends on October the 7th. Uh, they do have the coupon code. It's June 40. That's J-U-N-E, the number four, the number zero, O-F-F, June 40 off for a 40% off uh, discount on your ticket. Uh, That expires, that uh, coupon code expires July the 1st, okay? So if you want to go to the mining conference in Round Rock, Texas, you can get 40% off, but you better do it before July the 1st. Again, that is the mining conference at miningconf, C-O-N-F, all one word. Now, Let's start, let's get into the pool uh, with all the sharks and the dead fish and the slimy half-lifes that we're having to swim around with and have been having to swim around with since, honestly, before I even entered into the space in 2015. We'll start with this one from Yosef Tetik from Bitcoin Magazine. <clears throat> Swimming naked, don't trust custodians as the Bitcoin price falls. 
Bear markets can be scary. With Bitcoin dropping to unthinkable levels, leverage positions being liquidated and custodians failing on their promises. When FUD replaces FOMO, fortunes are easily lost. Keeping your head cool and your Bitcoin in cold storage is imperative to survive in this unpredictable environment. Quote, banks can be trusted to hold our money and transfer it electronically, but they lend it out in waves of credit bubbles with barely a fraction in reserve, end quote. Satoshi Nakamoto. The current situation that some of the Bitcoin exchanges and custodians are facing reeks of solvency issues, colloquially known as bank runs. Bank runs are nothing new. <clears throat> they are well-documented bank runs dating back over 200 years. <clears throat> the first American bank run happened just a few decades after the Declaration of Independence in 1819. Bank runs are a consequence of the age-old story of greed and counter to the notion of getting away with it. Bankers have always lent out some of their customers' deposits to create revenue, but doing so increases their risks of going bust when depositors want their money back in mass. In a fiat economy, bank runs are prevented in a typical statist fashion. The practice of fractional reserve banking that leads to bank runs is sanctified, and inevitable losses are mitigated by printing more money. And while this practice has been mostly hidden from the public eye in the, for the most part of the 20th century, it became quite obvious after 2008. Banks that were supposed to fail were simply bailed out with taxpayers' money and via a zero interest rate policy, which ultimately led to inflation levels not seen since the 1980s. But still, bank runs are mostly a thing of the past in the fiat economy, though they are still very much a possibility in the crypto economy. In many aspects, Bitcoin is the direct opposite of fiat. The fixed issuance of 21 million coins is widely cited, but the fact that there are no leaders and no bailouts is no less critical for Bitcoin's long-term success. However, this doesn't stop certain risk-prone characters from recreating fiat institutions. The, quote, crypto lending shops such as Celsius are fractional reserve banks in principle. However, this time, there is no lender of last resort in the form of a central bank to bail out the founders and their clients when things turn sour. Let's make one thing clear. A yield always has to come from somewhere. To generate a positive yield on a scarce asset such as Bitcoin, the institution offering said yield has to leverage the client's deposits in various ways. And whereas banks face strong regulatory requirements as to what they can do with the customer deposits, such as buy treasuries, facilitate mortgage loans, etc. Cryptocurrency lending companies face no such regulatory requirements, so they basically go and put their customers' deposits into casinos of various kinds, DeFi yield farming, staking, speculating on obscure altcoins. As Twitter user Otteru recently mapped out, Celsius thus lost hundreds of millions of dollars in user deposits on various poorly placed bets. And that tweet says, Celsius Network will be insolvent by the end of 2022, and users still with deposits locked will be forced into a bail-in. Here's 12 reasons why. Alpha at end of mega thread. No, I'm not going to read the thread. <clears throat> As of the time of this writing, Celsius has stopped all user withdrawals and seems to be having a serious solvency issue. With no bailout incoming, all of the hapless users can do is grab some popcorn and watch the Celsium team fight for its half billion leveraged positions, the liquidation of which could mean the evaporation of most of its users' funds. Dylan LeQuaire has a tweet that reads, Celsius has added more collateral. The liquidation price is now at 17200 23.4K wrapped BTC locked in the vault. Wonderful. Yeah, it doesn't paint a pretty picture, honestly. Quote, <clears throat> you never know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. End quote. Warren Buffett. It's quite frustrating to witness people lose funds in essentially the same way as Mt. Gox users did in 2013. Exchanges and custodians fall for the same temptation that bankers did for centuries, leveraging user deposits to squeeze out more than what they earn for the service fees. It's quite paradoxical that Bitcoin and most altcoins 
offer a straightforward way to offer a proof of self-audit via cryptographic signature of addresses with sufficient balances, yet no exchange, say for a few exceptions, performs such proof of reserves. It may very well be that all the exchanges are perfectly solvent, but the issue is we have to trust them on that. As the Oracle of Omaha famously quipped, we'll never know who's naked until the tide goes out. So when Binance, one of the world's largest exchanges, halts Bitcoin withdrawals, we never know if it's really only temporary, you know, a technical hiccup or a more sinister liquidity issue. And here's a tweet from Binance. Binance has temporarily paused Bitcoin withdrawals on the BTC network. Meanwhile, you can still withdraw BTC on other networks. This is due to a stuck on-chain transaction. Our team is currently working on a solution and will provide further updates soon. While we can collectively call for exchanges to offer proof of reserves, the only real mitigation of the counterparty risk that exchanges pose is to take possession of our coins. The only way to really be certain that nothing shady is happening with our coins is to hold the private keys ourselves. Bitcoin is unique in the way it makes administering one's own wealth easy. And ever since the first hardware wallet in the form of Trezor was introduced back in 2014, there are no excuses not to hold your own keys. Buying Bitcoin in a peer-to-peer fashion is preferable from the privacy standpoint. So if you can find a reliable seller, usually through Bitcoin meetups, making regular purchases through the same channel and stacking straight into a hardware wallet is the way to go. ATMs can also allow for purchasing amounts of Bitcoin up to $1,000 with good privacy. But if for any reason you prefer buying through exchanges, there is no reason to leave your coins off of your own wallet. And if you're keeping your coins on an exchange right now, it's a good idea to consider withdrawing them into your own wallet. Even if you earn a yield on those coins, the long-term risk of losing 100% of your coins simply isn't worth it. Surprisingly, A lot of people misunderstand the nature of hardware wallet devices and the business models behind them. Some people believe that hardware wallet manufacturers are actually in possession of users' coins and can recover the coins in case the user loses their recovery seat or passphrase. This couldn't be further from the truth. It's the wallet users that are always in the sole and exclusive possession of their coins. The manufacturer's business is to sell the devices, not to lend out or otherwise leverage the coins of their users. Contrary to exchanges and other custodians, there's no counterparty risk with using a hardware wallet. If Trezor or any of the other manufacturers went bankrupt tomorrow, users would be unaffected because they are the sole owners of their coins. Compare this fact with the disclaimers of the major Bitcoin exchanges, which can state that in the case of bankruptcy, users' coins are basically confiscated. All right, now that is, is basically um, reiterating Coinbase's additions to terms of service. And that particular line says, in their terms of service of Coinbase states, quote, this sentence, moreover, because custodially held crypto assets may be considered to be the property of a bankruptcy estate, in the event of a bankruptcy, the crypto assets we hold in custody on behalf of our customers could be subject to bankruptcy proceedings and such customers could be treated as our general unsecured creditors. What does that mean? It means if Coinbase goes bankrupt and they go into bankruptcy proceedings, it is not outside the possibility that your coins will be used to make the bankruptcy proceedings occur as smooth as possible insofar as making other people whole. And if you don't have first claim, You are an unsecured creditor, which means you don't have rights. You don't have rights to your property. You're not the one getting bailed out. You're getting bailed out. You're you're bailing out as an unsecured creditor, the secured creditors, which would be, I don't know, whoever invested in Coinbase, who those people like, I don't know, maybe FTX, uh, Sam Bateman fried is in there. A16Z, I'm pretty sure is, is a secured creditor of Coinbase. Any, all of these Series B, Series C, rounding, you know, and then finally, which led to their IPO, those people are going to get bailed out with the coins held on the exchange that are the property of, quote unquote, unsecured creditors. If you need more information on what the hell an unsecured creditor is, please take the time 
and go look it up. Continuing on, the discovery of the fractional reserve practices being undertaken by some of the foremost custodians in the space might be an unpleasant surprise for many newcomers who were seduced by the vision of earning yield on their otherwise unproductive assets. The further discovery of there being no bailouts might turn into a nightmare. Yet that is the nature of Bitcoin. In a stark contrast to the fiat system, Bitcoin rewards the prudent and punishes the frivolous. And through that mechanism, Bitcoin helps build a more responsible world. Jameson Lopp's tweet says, no bailouts for gamblers in Bitcoin. On the bright side, prudent folks get to scoop up their assets at fire sale prices. And that's the end of the article by Yosef. If you, if you didn't listen to what was being said, it basically says what we've been saying for years. These guys that have your coins on their exchanges are in fact performing fractional reserve. And when a bank run happens and people want to get their coins off that exchange, there's not going to be enough coins to go around. It's essentially a game of musical chairs and it's been played for centuries. Right? This isn't anything new under the sun. The difference is that this is more like a bank run before the Federal Reserve or before the European Central Bank or before, generally speaking, any central banks. I think the oldest one is the Bank of England. I, I think that, generally speaking, the Bank of England could be considered one of the very oldest, quote-unquote, central banks that actually performed the functions that we're used to a central bank actually performing. This has happened time immemorial. And before the Federal Reserve in 1913, bank runs generally, and even after, for some time after the installation of the Federal Reserve, bank runs generally meant whoever had their money in that bank got wiped out. The people that worked at the bank all lost their jobs, including the president, even though the president probably walked away with enough money that it didn't really matter. And the bank itself went bust. But since 2008, uh, that... Actually, it kind of goes back into all the way back to the 1980s. Uh, something called the savings and loan crisis uh, was pretty bad. Not anything on the scale of 2008. And certainly not anything on the scale that we're looking at right now. But back then, there was a, there was a little bit of bailout going on. Not everybody got bailed out, but, it, but not everybody died. And the Federal Reserve stepped in. And, you know, kind of did their chicanery and, and things, you know, kind of lasted. But in 2008, the rule book completely changed. And they let Bear Stearns go down. They let Lehman Brothers go down. And everybody else got bailed out world fucking wide. This is why I Bitcoin. I don't altcoin and shitcoin and ICO coin and NFT ape into bullshit coin because of exactly this. And this has ripple effects now. The, I mean, the, the ripple effects, the, actually, it's worse than ripple effects. Any ripple effects is fucking flat out contagion. And the first, one of the first people that, that caught the flu and is probably going to die, crypto lender Babel Finance halts withdrawals due to liquidity pressures. Liquidity pressure should be read. We didn't really have the amount of coins that we told you that, we had we were we were doing stupid shit helen parts tells us the details coin telegraph hong kong based asset manager babel finance is the latest cryptocurrency lending firm experiencing serious issues amid the ongoing market downturn babel finance officially announced on friday a temporary suspension of redemptions and withdrawals from its products citing unusual liquidity pressures Quote, recently, the crypto market has seen major fluctuations and some institutions in the industry have experienced a condu conductive risk events. The statement on Binance, uh, Babel's finance website reads, the firm said that it's in close communication with all related parties on the matter and is doing its best to protect its customers' bullshit. Quote, Babel Finance is taking action to best protect the interest of our clients we are in close communication with all related parties and will share updates in a timely manner, a spokesperson for the firm said in a statement to Cointelegraph. Founded in 2018, so it's four, you know all of three and a half years old, uh, Babel Finance is a major cryptocurrency financial service provider offering crypto lending, asset management, and financing services to institutional investors. The company's portfolio generated $8 billion in average monthly trading volumes. 
In early May of 2022, Babel raised $40 million in a Series A funding round led by companies like Zoo Capital, Sequoia Capital China, Dragonfly Capital, and Tiger Global Management. By halting withdrawals, Babel Finance joins the growing list of crypto lending firms experiencing major issues due to the current market conditions. Crypto staking and lending platform Celsius became one of the first firms to signal the ongoing crypto lending crisis, officially halting withdrawals on its platform on Monday. So you're not going to be able to get your coins off of Babel Finance if you are a Babel Finance customer, your host. They're not going to lift that shit. They're not. Because I, I, I get the feeling there, there are market pressures at work here that are going to be long-lasting and that market can be, as, you know, for stupid a lot longer than you can remain solvent, right? That's always been a rule. It gets worse. I know, it's, again, let your heart not be troubled. And this is why, okay, this, this is why the maxis always take it on the chin. And we remain maxis. We, we remain in what's called recalcitrant in our positions. Recalcitrant means we ain't moving. And we're always going to tell you that if you're shitcoining, you're going to get fucking hosed. And all the shitcoiners are getting fucking hosed. We were right again. <laughs> it's not easy to be right in this environment. All you have to do is just walk into the room with eyes wide open, look around, and you'll go, okay, uh, chicanery, cheater, uh, unethical, immoral, blah, blah, blah. Oh, look, there's another Bitcoiner. That guy I can trust automatically. I'm just saying, man, because FinBlocks, F-I-N-B-O, or see, B-L-O-X, FinBlocks withdraw restrictions, trigger concerns from the community. So here's another one. Ezra Reguera has it from Cointelegraph. FinBlocks, a crypto staking platform backed by 3Arrows Capital, or 3AC, has paused reward distributions and tightened its withdrawal limits. Following this, community members expressed concerns over their assets, with some calling for transparency and bringing up decentralization. In a tweet, Finblocks announced that the firm is assessing the effects of 3AC's situation on its liquidity. While the firm does this, it highlighted that it paused its reward distribution for all of its users and lowered its monthly withdrawal limit to $1,500 U, uh, or $1,500 USD or United States dollars. Many of the platform's users were disappointed with the news, sharing their frustrations about not being able to withdraw their funds. Okay, pausing just as a reminder. We were telling you not to stake your shit. We were telling you to get your coins off of all exchanges. Don't use lending platforms. Don't seek yield. Just buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin. And we've been telling everybody that for years. We are laughed at, we are paraded around as big old meanies, and yet again, we were right. On the other hand, community members started calling out Finblox's 90% annual percentage yield offer on staking Axie Infinity shards as unsustainable. Who would have guessed? According to Finblox user Tarrant Lee, he has withdrawn his assets from Finblox during the Terra Luna collapse. He noted that it's becoming more clear that lenders who offer large returns were taking too much risk. That's more than that, son. In response to the current situation, Twitter user GoForTim2 called out the lending platforms to be more transparent. They tweeted, quote, What happened to Celsius Network has shown how susceptible CFI lending platforms are to run risks, most recently with Finblocks announcing a withdrawal cap, Here's what I would do if I were a crypto bank right now. And the second tweet of this six tweet thread is the last one I'll read. It just says, be 100% transparent. Be brutally honest on what was lost and where assets are deployed currently. Vague statements make it impossible to know exactly how risky things are. Poor decisions would surface eventually. So why bother even hiding things? He's got a good point. Additionally, the Twitter user also noted that it may be time for firms to lower their APY rates as it has become an ineffective tool for attracting users now that users are fearing for the safety of their assets. On June the 16th, the CEO of 8Blocks Capital, Danny Wan, publicly called out platforms that hold assets owned by 3AC, requesting the that they freeze the company's funds. Wan claimed that they detected a sum of $1 million missing from their accounts with 
three arrows capital or three AC. Meanwhile, a report noted that the firm borrowed Bitcoin from lending platform BlockFi and was not able to meet a margin call following the market downturn. Some even estimate that 3AC has gotten liquidated by $400 million in multiple positions. So BlockFi is coming next. I, the contagion, this particular contagion is, is unlike anything that I've seen in the seven years that I've been here, but we knew it was coming. We saw it being built. We watched as BlockFi started doing funky shit. We watched staking platforms. We watched it all unfold. We watched DeFi promise everybody moon and beyond. And we knew it was all a scam. And it looks like it's all a scam. And the interconnectedness of this scam DeFi network is causing the dominoes to fall one by one. And I guarantee you, if you've got your shit on BlockFi right now and you can get it off, then get it off. Because BlockFi is probably going to be one of the ones that, that, that go under next. Nobody should have been doing this shit. We warned and warned and warned. We were laughed at and laughed at and laughed at. Now, internally in these companies, what do you suppose goes on in the minds of an, of an employee having to watch some of this shit? We're going to find out from this particular person. An employee quits after red flags at his first crypto job, but he does stay in blockchain for the tech. Uh, Ezra Reguera, Cointelegraph. Crypto startups have have a significant role to play in the development of the entire blockchain industry. However, while many business owners have big ideas that aim to change the world, some fail to in invest to develop the most critical aspects of a business resulting in employees quitting. After being hired by a crypto startup, Roland Guiradon from Chad, Central Africa, thought he got lucky as he accepted his first job offer in the crypto world. He later realized that while it seemed like a dream job, it was more of a nightmare that he needed to run away from. Yeah, I hear you, pal. In an interview with Cointelegraph, Guardian, however you pronounce his name, noted that the company, which he refused to name, allegedly launched products that are not working and required employees to get lots of overtime while managers play favorites on who gets rewarded for their efforts. He explained, quote, the products of the company are not really working as the company is not putting much effort into it. But still, we were trying to work on it and try to like, you know, bring it to success. It's just not working, end quote. He also added that while the products don't function properly, employees of the firm were required to do overtime working on the projects that he claims to be already dead. To make things worse, he further alleged that managers were cherry picking people to reward while others work more, quote, I love being in the crypto industry and everything, but I had to quit because it was like, you know, becoming too unhealthy, end quote. Despite the negative experience, he became a blockchain and crypto believer after learning about other projects in the industry, quote, I chose to stay in the crypto industry because I believe in the technology, end quote. He believes that crypto is truly the future of money, even though the markets are currently down. He explained that his newfound belief made him not want to miss out on anything within the industry. He said, quote, even though everything that happened, I didn't let that stop me from exploring more of the industry and then discovering more about the blockchain, uh, end quote. He also encouraged anyone who is interested in joining the blockchain industry. Guardian believes that there is really an opportunity for anyone that wants to join the space. Okay, so... It doesn't, because we don't know the company itself, we've got a guy who's like literally looking at something going, dude, I'm working for a company and their shit don't work. And instead of staying in, he got out. I would imagine that he's probably working in an industry, like in a part of the industry that is showering the rest of the industry with shitty products like NFTs staking platforms, yet one more yield generator. And it's just, this shit just doesn't work. And at least this guy had the ethical capacity to realize it and get the hell out. Unlike our next individual. I watched part of this Netflix documentary with my wife and it's fascinating. But let's just start at the top. This piece by Kate Irwin from Decrypt.co, convicted felon Anna Sorokin is launching 
an NFT collection. <laughs> In a bid to rehabilitate her image, convicted scammer Anna Sorokin is getting into NFTs. The Anna card went live today following a 2,000 item NFT mint yesterday, which can now be purchased for 0.1 Ether at press time. Uh, while still in federal custody, okay, get this, she's still in federal custody and she minted a fucking NFT and it's for sale for a tenth of an ether. All of them, the 2,000 that was minted, okay, that's like, what, 200 ether if she sells it all at 0.1 each? And she's in federal custody. Anyway, while still in federal custody, Sorokin told NBC News in an interview Thursday that she's making NFTs for her biggest fans. A convicted felon has fans, Jesus. We are creating a reinventing Anna NFT project, Sorokin said. Russian-born Anna Sorokin returned to the international spotlight this year after Netflix released a miniseries based on the true story of her exploits in which she posed as a German heiress while being courted by a hungry journalist. Jessica Pressler wrote Sorokin's story for the New York Times or New York Magazine in 2018. The show was Netflix's biggest hit earlier this year. Now that her prison sentence is over, Sorokin is currently being held in an ICE immigration detention center, center for overstaying her United States visa. Quote, I would not encourage anyone else to follow my footsteps. She told NBC News referencing the actions that landed her in prison. But Sorokin has been developing her NFT scheme while detained. The Anacard NFTs will reportedly unlock exclusive live streams, phone calls, items from Anna, and in-person meetings depending on the tier purchased. Three ultra-platinum ultra NFTs will be the tier that unlocks an in-person meeting with Sorokin and personal items from her, NBC News reported. When asked why anyone should buy anything from her given her track record, Sorokin believes she's changed a lot in her 20s. Quote, I changed so much in a way, she said, arguing that I'm, I'm not like this vicious scamming person, end quote. Sorokin added that moving forward, she wants to do things by the books and focus on making something legal. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> but buyer beware, Sorokin isn't known for keeping her promises. Ah, uh, and this, this is, this is why, this is why we are here. Be, why? Because Bitcoin is for enemies. Bitcoin is for shit coiners. Bitcoin is for altcoiners and ICO coiners and all kinds of other crap coiners. We can't control it. We can't stop it. And we don't need to. Enough people are going to get burned, have already been burned, and more people in the future are going to get likewise burned. And there's nothing you or I can do to stop it. And indeed, we could beat our, our fists on the, on the tables in front of any Congress subcommittee hearing that you'd like to go yell at and beg them, beg them for regulation. And this will not stop. It won't. With regulation, without regulation, people are going to get scammed. And with this technology, it is easier to scam somebody than ever. Okay, it's up to you to instruct your families, your loved ones, your friends, anybody that you give two shits about. It's up to you to tell them not to do this. It is up to me to tell my friends and family, as well as anybody who tunes into this podcast for the first time. Don't do this. Don't NFT. Don't ICO. Don't altcoin. Don't shitcoin. Don't DeFi coin. Don't yield farm. Don't do any of it. It's all connected. And when one thing blows up, it all blows up. And we're watching it right now. We're also watching it in the legacy financial markets. And we're going to do that right now because we're going to run the numbers. Woo doggy. Commodities just taking it all over the chin, bro. Flammable liquids first up. Oil, West Texas Intermediate down 5.75%. Coming in off of its highs of 122 bucks per barrel, all the way down to $110.82. Brent North Sea likewise down almost five points to $113.98. 
Natural gas down four and a half points to $7.13 per thousand cubic feet, which is still a pretty high price. Gasoline, however, is the biggest winner. I, I suppose you might actually say biggest winner. It's going to become, it should come as a relief to a lot of people that are freaking out about gas prices. But after a six and a third point drop in gas prices, we are now looking at $3.70 a gallon. And like I said, that should come as, as a pleasant relief for some folks, but God only knows how long it lasts. Gold and the rest of the shiny metal rocks are not having a good day either, but not as bad. Gold down a third of a point to $1,843.20. Silver down 1.21% to $21.62. Platinum down two points. Copper is down two points. And palladium is down 3.78%. Agricultural futures are fully mixed. The biggest loser being wheat, 2.57% to the downside. The biggest winner is chocolate, 2.52% to the upside. Uh, soybeans are up almost nothing, 0.01. Corn is up uh, three quarters of a point. Sugar is up a third of a point. Uh, coffee is down 2.14%. Cotton is down almost a full point. We got Dow down a quarter of a point. S&P is down scant, 0.06%. NASDAQ is up 0.84%. S&P mini up 0.66%. Now, all this has to do with the fact that FOMAC apparently signaled a 75-bip uh, increase in interest rates either yesterday or the day before. Um, yeah, I, you know, set it on fire, ladies and gentlemen. Let's just, just go ahead and throw gasoline on it throw it out the window and light it on fire. I mean, it's just, there's, I have heard seven different people say the following. The Fed is going to raise interest rates until something breaks. And when they mean something breaks, I'm talking about Joe Theismann's femur in that fateful game that took him out of, of playing football for the rest of his life. The one where he got bent over backward and, and literally people in the stadium said that they could hear his femur snap in half. That's what I mean by break. I don't mean, is it kind of, I don't know, it kind of looks broken. Is that, no, 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 it's not going to be that way, ladies and gentlemen. They will raise interest rates until something fully breaks like Joe Theismann's femur. All right, just, I'm, I'm just saying, okay. I don't know when, the, when this horror show is going to end, but I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. So how do you navigate? I, you know, I wish I had, I wish I had a, a top 10 list of navigating this shit. If I did, I guarantee you that top one and two would be move out of the city if you can get away from population centers. You don't have to be that. It's not like you have to move to the middle of bumfucked Egypt, right? Where you're 50 miles away from anything that even remotely looks like a city. You don't have to do that. You just don't want to be in the center of it. You want to be on the outskirts of the city or a few miles off of, uh, off of the boundary, boundary layer of that city. That's where you get into what's called the unincorporated lands. And it's a much easier to function in unincorporated places than it is in city places, but you lose some services, right? It depends on what your, what your trade-off is. My trade-off is I just don't want to be around the zombies. I, I just don't. I, the zombie horde is, is already, it's, it's already been created and they're chilling out in the cities and they're just, I mean, it's just like one match away from the hordes running through the streets. So just get out of the cities. Number two, learn to grow some of your own food. And yeah, for those people that are out there in the audience that think you can only grow food in the summer and there's just like, it's just too late to learn two things. It's never too late to learn a new skill. Second, you can grow spring, depending on where you are. And generally speaking, most of the United States, you have three growing seasons. Depending on how long each one is, is will determine what you can grow. So you have to, you can't grow corn in the spring, right? You have to know that. So there's, go start reading gardening books or something like that, okay? Go figure this out. But you can grow shit in the spring. You can grow two or three different crops, uh, one after another in the summer. And then you can grow straight through until the fall, until the first freeze. Like, I'll just bring up kale. You may not like it. But kale, once it gets its first frost, 
is actually even more tasty if you like kale than the day before that frost. And that pretty much signals the end of your growing season, but that doesn't stop you. You can build a greenhouse. It doesn't have to be fancy, but it does have to be able to collect solar heat and keep it throughout the night. And you can extend your growing seasons pre-spring and into the late fall by quite a bit to the point is, to the point where, depending on where you are again, you've only got really three to four months where you can't really grow anything. Learn how to grow food, get out of the cities. If you do those two things, I think you'll actually feel a little bit better. We could all feel better about the price of Bitcoin, which is at $20,754.97. And my God almighty, check this shit out. 7.8 million BTC has been sent through the network in the last 24 hours. That's 325,668 BTC being sent every hour on the hour. Ladies and gentlemen, I have not seen these numbers this high in months. Months. And I haven't seen 7.8 million BTC changing hands in almost since the 2020s uh, and then the 2017 and 2018. It's been a long time since I've seen numbers like this. Average transaction value is 29.36 BTC. Median transaction value is 0.026 BTC or 543 bucks. Block times are quite high at 11 minutes and 48 seconds. We have 0.18 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 22.54 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. And with a almost 20% dump in hash rate, we're back below 190 exahashes, all the way down to 183.33 exahashes per second. Miners are turning off their machines. Right? This, what I haven't heard yet is mining death spiral. I've got my fingers up in quotations. Mining death spiral. Get ready for that FUD. Okay, because it, it happens every single, every single cycle. Okay, every cycle. Mining death spiral. It's fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And it's designed to scare your ass into selling your Bitcoin uh, to somebody else. And guess what? There's always a buyer. Think of the following. If you're so fucking panicked that you're selling your Bitcoin, then who are you selling it to? Is it somebody who is just as scared as you are? Well, no, because they wouldn't be buying it. Is it somebody who really recognizes what this asset truly means? Most likely. Is it an, a guy, a, you know, somebody drooling all over themselves with an IQ of four? Probably not. What you're doing is you're selling your Bitcoin to somebody who knows what it actually is. And if you're doing that, then you don't really know what Bitcoin actually is. I've been through these cycles before. Mining death spiral is next on the list of World Economic Forum and Bloomberg and all the rest of that shit. I guarantee it. Mark my words. Now, <clears throat> your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin standing at 5.7 United States pennies, which has actually done better than Bitcoin over the last uh, few days. And I, I don't mean that as a jab on Bitcoin. It's just a, a jab on the stupidity of the people holding this freakish coin that doesn't really need to exist, but does, and we have to deal with it. So it's actually held its value against Bitcoin in a fairly, fairly impressive way. And it makes me wonder about stuff like BSV. Um, I don't even say the name. If you don't know what BSV is, it's not worth your time. But uh, I know, I've noticed that it, it barely moves down or up in swings on either direction. And what that tells me is that there's, there's just no functionality there in their, either their networks or they, there's just not any liquidity. That the whole reason that, that BSV doesn't fall any further is that people literally, maybe they burn their wallets and they don't even have access to the coins because they've lost so much money that they just want out and, and there's just no, nothing to sell. And hardly any exchanges, you know, are, are listing it. So when, when you're seeing shit coins that are, that are doing better than Bitcoin, you need to ask yourself a question that at these market lows, does that really mean that it's doing better than Bitcoin or does, or, or, or does it really mean that there's an illiquidity situation in each one of these bullshit alt chains? I, it doesn't really matter. Let's move on to Clark Moody's dashboard. 
which is showing 6,825 transactions waiting on seven blocks to clear. We have a $394 billion market cap at this point, which is a scant 3.24% of gold's entire market cap. And that number used to read almost 10% of gold's market cap. All right. Again, let your heart not be troubled. <clears throat> we may, if we so choose, purchase 11.2 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,069,660.93 of, and 3,986.9 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $82.4 million, being run over 17,127 nodes that we can see, sporting 83,693 payment channels and 71.6% of all that shit's being run over tours associated 12,072 nodes on the Lightning Network, or at least the nodes that we can see, and that's gonna do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Elon Musk reveals crypto Twitter plans in leaked transcript. Stephen Graves writing it up for decrypt.co. Elon Musk shared further details of his plans for how crypto could be used in Twitter in a leaked Q&A session with employees of the social media company. Per a transcript of the meeting released by Vox, the billionaire Tesla CEO expounded on how payments, including crypto, are a critical area for Twitter and highlighted the ongoing issues of crypto scams on the social media platform. Quote, money is fundamentally digital at this point, Musk said. He added, quote, it would make sense to integrate payments into Twitter so that it's, you know, easy to send money back and forth, noting that this would include currency as well as crypto. Stating that his goal is to maximize the usefulness of the service, Musk said that if one can use it to make convenient payments, that's an increase in usefulness. He added that news, entertainment, and payments are three critical areas for Twitter. In order to make the service so compelling that you can't live without it and that everyone wants to use it, end quote. <clears throat> Musk's suggestion that Twitter integrate payments mirrors his earlier arguments that the platform should become a WeChat-style super app. The Chinese social media platform brings together multiple services, including ride hailing, food delivery, and payments under one umbrella. In the Q&A, Musk also addresses an ongoing pet peeve, the prevalence of bots and crypto scams on Twitter. Quote, there's quite a lot of crypto scams on Twitter, he said, conceding that it's gotten better, but there's still a fair bit of that. He added that, quote, there are also people where they're not necessarily bots, but they might be operating. You know, one person's operating hundreds of accounts and trying to make them look like individuals, but they're really not. In order for people to have trust in Twitter, I think it's extremely important that there be transparency so that people can critique it, improve it, identify bugs, potentially, or bias, Musk said, reiterating his earlier suggestion that the platform's code be made open source. One solution Musk put forward to address the problem of fake accounts on Twitter was verification through payment for its Twitter Blue subscription service by piggybacking on the payment system. He suggested, quote, Twitter would know who you are, at least from a payment standpoint. Musk had previously suggested, possibly in jest, that Twitter Blue subscriptions could be paid in his favorite cryptocurrency, Dogecoin. Bot activity has become a key factor in Musk's on-again, off-again purchase of Twitter, after making his $43 million bid to buy the social media platform in April, the Tesla CEO said that the purchase cannot move forward until Twitter provides information on how many fake accounts exist on the platform. Earlier this month, Twitter reportedly gave Musk access to a fire hose of data, including every tweet posted on the platform in order to enable him to independently verify levels of bot activity. Now, so this is just this zombie deal that keeps coming back and keeps coming back and coming back. And it just seems odd that if you haven't purchased the company yet, you know, basically having multiple sit downs with the employees of the company you want to buy, but haven't yet to me seems odd, but it may just be standard fare in corporate America and, you know, court the corporate world, who knows, let's move on. Third largest Russian oil company, Gazprom at eft, 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 Gazprom, N-E-F-T, however you pronounce that, partners with BitRiver to mine Bitcoin. This is out of Bitcoin Magazine, written by Sean Amick. 
The third largest oil producer in Russia, Gazprom Neft, is partnering with Swiss-based Bitcoin mining firm BitRiver to build out mining operations located at oil fields, according to a memorandum from the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum. BitRiver will assist Gazprom Neft in developing data centers where the oil producer will receive energy from the remote mining company at either new oil fields where infrastructure is not currently established or remote sites with expensive transportation costs. Quote, over the next two years, BitRiver intends to implement projects to create its own data centers for power-intensive computing with power scaling up to 2 gigawatts, including petroleum gas, which will additionally provide high and stable power consumption, Igor Runitz, founder and CEO of BitRiver, reportedly stated in the memorandum. Interestingly, BitRiver is not a newcomer to Russian business. This past April, the U.S. Treasury Department sanctioned BitRiver, adding the company to the Treasury Offices of Foreign Asset Control, or OFAC, list, stating the company is helping support Putin's brutal war of choice. However, while the partnership between BitRiver and Gazprom Neft is innovative, the two companies were not the first to take this approach. This past March, it was reported that ExxonMobil, the world's largest U or the U.S. largest oil producer was piloting Bitcoin mining operations. The company reportedly wanted to further reduce its excess of burned gas or flared gas. Similarly, U.S. Bitcoin mining farm Crusoe Energy announced plans to move generators and mining uh, equipment to Muscat, Oman in the Middle East to capture flared gas and cut down on emissions there as well. So Gazprom getting into Bitcoin mining with a Swiss company and I don't even know how the hell you're going to do that in this environment. I mean, you'll just end up, BitRiver will just end up being this hated shit and then Switzerland will kick them out and they'll be like put on like even more sanction lists and it's just, you know, they're really playing Russian roulette with their business model by, by cozying up with Putin there. I don't love or hate Putin. I don't give a shit. It is what it is. He's doing what he's doing. You know, Ukraine's doing what they're doing. Uh, you know, it's it's not that I for Ukraine or again, I'm just, I just don't give a shit about the current thing. I'm exhausted mentally. And most people are. So when you're like, I can't believe that you, you, if you don't stand with Ukraine, you must be for Putin. No, I'm for neither. I don't give a shit. I'm too fucking tired. I'm too tired. You, they've been burning us like candles at both ends for the last 22 years, ever since those idiots flew planes into the world trade centers. And it's just been nonstop disaster after disaster after disaster. I literally at this point, unpopular opinion, if you were to ask me, do you care about the war in Ukraine and Putin and, and uh, all that? I'm going to say, no, I don't. I probably should, but I don't have the energy for it anymore. It's all been burned out of me. Now, let's move on. Panama also playing Russian roulette, <clears throat> Panama's president vetoes a law that would have regulated Bitcoin and legalized decentralized autonomous organizations, otherwise known as DAOs. Matt DeSalvo has it for Decrypt.co. Panama's crypto law came to a grinding halt today after President Lorenzo Cortizo partially vetoed the bill. Uh, the president made the move on the ground that it, quote, requires adaptation to the norms that regulate our financial system, end quote. According to local media La Prensa, the bill will now go back to the country's National Assembly for debate. At the end of April, the Central American tax haven looked like it was headed to be the next Latin American nation encouraging citizens to use Bitcoin when the country's legislature approved a bill regulating the use of cryptocurrencies. But... The president last month said he wanted guarantees that the law would comply with global anti-money laundering standards, hinting that he would not sign it immediately. Quote, I have to be very careful if the law has clauses related to money laundering activities, he said in a May 19th interview with Bloomberg. The bill wants to let Panamanians buy everyday goods with cryptocurrency. Digital assets like Bitcoin, Shitcoin 1, Shitcoin 2, Shitcoin 3, and Shitcoin 4 would be a valid form of payment for any legal, civil, or commercial operation, including the payment of taxes, fees, and duties to the government. It also formally recognized decentralized autonomous organizations as legal entities and sets the framework for the country to issue tokenized securities and commodities like gold and silver 
via security token offerings, otherwise known as STOs. Congressman Gabriel Silva, who helped draft the bill, today wrote on Twitter that the president's move was a lost opportunity to generate jobs, attract investment, and incorporate technology and innovation in the public sector. Quote, the country deserves more opportunities and also financial inclusion, he added. If the bill does eventually get signed, Panama will be the second Latin American country where citizens can spend their crypto. El Salvador became the world's first in 2021. Businesses in the country have to accept Bitcoin if they have the technological means to do so. Okay, I'm going to pause right there. I'm going to pause right there because that is a bullshit statement. Yes, Article 7 of the Bitcoin law does state, in fact, that businesses have to accept Bitcoin if they have the technological means to do so. But Article 8 gives them a complete out. And not a single business, not a single person has been arrested, charged, or otherwise fined for not accepting Bitcoin. And there are many people in El Salvador that will not accept Bitcoin. There are many people that do accept Bitcoin. Nobody's been arrested. The president himself, himself, Nayib Bukele, said on what Bitcoin did with Peter McCormack that, yes, that law is written that way for reasons. And that's to make big banks and very large corporations stand up and take note that you need to take this shit seriously or we might start looking at you. But he's like individual mom and pop shops, individuals walking on the street. He's like, we haven't enforced this thing at all. And we have no intention of enforcing Article 7, except when it comes to the largest of entities. Do I trust him? No, I do not. Do I like him? Yes, I do. The motherfucker has got a command of Twitter like nobody I've ever seen before. But that doesn't mean that I'm automatically going to trust him. But that... This thing, Matt DeSalvo in this article did not mention that Nayib Bukele has stated on several occasions, including the aforementioned podcast episode with Peter McCormick, that he has no intention of enforcing that shit at levels other than very large banks and very large, large corporations, corporations like Starbucks and Walmart and McDonald's. All right, so please, please, please don't, don't buy into that particular piece of FUD. Continuing... But Panama's bill differs uh, from El Salvador's Bitcoin law as crypto would not become legal tender there. Rather, businesses would have a choice whether or not to accept digital assets for payment. And that ends that particular article. Now, on to this one. Back to Russia. Bitcoin Magazine's Sean Amick says, Russian central bank Bitcoin crypto payments for international settlement is possible. Elvira Nabualina, head of the Central Bank of the Russian Federation, recently attended the St. Petersburg Economic Forum, or SPIF, where she commented on Russia's use of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies for international trade, per report from state media outlet Comerasant. Our position is that cryptocurrency should not be used as a means of calculation within the country as for use in international settlement if it does not penetrate the Russian financial system. It is possible, she told reporters during the event. Earlier in the event, before the remarks made by Nabualina, first deputy chairman of the central bank, Kasina Yedaveda, also stated that Russia did not object to the use of payments like Bitcoin in international transactions and international finance infrastructure. Previously, the central bank proposed a ban on the mining of trading of, of cryptocurrencies this past January. Following this announcement, Russian President Vladimir Putin openly challenged the central bank's opinion, stating that the country had a competitive advantage in the mining sector and asked them to reconsider. In response to Putin's request for reconsideration, a bill was submitted to regulate Bitcoin and the broader cryptocurrency ecosystem by the Russian government. Within the same month, the Ministry of Finance released its amended version of the bill seeking to properly regulate the ecosystem. Consequently, as the Russian government and monetary authorities have been divided on the matter, so too have individuals stationed within those authoritative positions. In fact, Denis Manturov, Minister of Industry and Trade of the Russian Federation, recently stated, quote, The question is when it will happen, how it will happen, and how it will be regulated. 
now both the central bank and the government are actively engaged in this. So it looks like here that the central bank has reversed their position and is actively working with the rest of the Federation government to see about getting this together. So what happens if Russia accepts, does a Bitcoin law like El Salvador? Holy shit. Their borders are Europe, China. <laughs> you have any idea the impact on that? It's going, it, it, it would be pretty massive. And you know what happened to the Bitcoin price? It'll go to 13.5. <laughs> because good news lately is antithetical to the growth of Bitcoin's price, but it doesn't really matter. Again, let not your heart be troubled. All right. I've been through this several times over the past seven years. And you know what I didn't do? I didn't panic sell Bitcoin. I have sold Bitcoin on occasion because I needed the money. It just had to happen. That wasn't a panic sell. That was uh, off, you know, I kind of need the money kind of sell. There is a difference, right? And I don't give too much, I don't, I don't give people too much grief if they have to sell their Bitcoin because they, you know, pay rent buy gas, you know, do all that shit. It's sad. I don't like to see it, but I'm not going to give you any shit about it. The people that panic sell, that's the people that I give shit to because I'm like, oh, you clearly don't understand the asset. And the guy that's buying it from you clearly does. Who got the better end of that trade? Keep that in mind and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.